We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. This is Cheap Seat Reviews. Okay. Yeah, Mordor is the Detroit. Yes. Mordor. Yeah, no, that music's terrifying, and I'm now looking around my office for spiders. Clarence Thomas? Hello, and thank you for listening to Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. The greater good. And I, I would sing it or hum sort of some sort of tune, but uh, Lord knows we don't need that. No. So, no, no, we really don't. No, we don't. That was a good mm-hmm. call. That was a good call. Thank you. I, I appreciate would, it. That would be kind of fun to do like um, like a like a three-part harmony barbershop, the greater good, you know, like... Um, like Sean and Gus do on Psych when they sing Suck It, like something like that. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> uh, sure, why not? Sure, why not? This is episode... We'll work on it. We will. We'll workshop it, yeah, because we have all the time okay. to workshop these types of things. Uh, this is episode... Uh, actually, no, I'm going to say this first. Thank you for listening. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. I never say stuff like that. I should say that more <laughs> often. Welcome back to Cheap Seat Reviews. Um, and again, if you're a new listener, welcome. It, the, 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 the food is nice and the weather is comfortable. I don't know what I'm saying. This is episode 384. And tonight we're talking about the music of the Lord of the Rings. I am Sean Allred and joining me tonight is Andrew, once had his tuba mouthpiece stolen, Jemison. I was always questioning where it went. Uh, because I heard rumors that it ended up in places that I probably shouldn't have put it in my mouth afterwards. I'm just saying. Yeah. 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 No, you're fine. You'll be fine. You're still alive. (laughs) Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. It's, uh, it's still gestating in the stomach. So. Gestating. (laughs) It's like the, it's like from (laughs) Alien. (laughs) Right, <laughs> just waiting for a, a mouthpiece alien to you never burst. know where those mouthpieces go. A chest burster. Uh, Sam uh, yes. plays the euphonium. Uh, I mean the baritone. I mean it's a small tuba. Vector. <laughs> You're not wrong in any of those. By the way, <laughs> actually, I had that conversation with someone today. Nice. Yeah. And they nice. said you should call it a baritone, and I said, but it's a euphonium. It's a euphonium. Yeah. And then anybody who's not into music, you just tell them it's a small tuba and they just like nod their head in agreement and don't want to go any further. So exactly. That's generally what happens. But Sean, yeah. For for your torture this this go round, I'm just gonna sit you next to this fourth chair uh tenor sax, and they're gonna tune continuously uh, for at least forty eight hours with you right next to them. <laughs> at so least you'll either drive yourself out of a window. Or uh, or be admitted to an insane asylum. Um, yeah. So I'm happy with either. Yeah. The most unbelievable part about that is that the saxophone player is trying to tune. There you go. <laughs> There's your rim shot. Speaking of saxophone <laughs> players, joining us tonight, making his return, is Eric. Has some great sax appeal from the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. <laughs> You got it right this time. I did say it right this time on the first. I wrote it. I wrote it down. So, 
<laughs> he stood in the mirror and finally said it five times <laughs> in a row. Yeah. Unfortunately, a, a man with a, a music staff came out and beat me to death. It was really strange. There were bees yeah. and other things. Yeah. I threw a symbol at his head. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome back to the show, Eric. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Oh my goodness. We we are more excited than you, I promise you. Mainly because for the last three weeks we have been dying to talk about the film <laughs> scores of these Lord of the Rings uh, movies, the the music of Howard Shore. It's just been killing them. It's been killing our guests. And tonight we can finally release uh the the dam of, of all of the energy like the the exploding of Helm's Deep. Um, I'm trying to make a metaphor here that doesn't sound sexual, right. but I can't really do it. So. No, you've, I was you've say gone down worse. too far. It's getting yeah. worse. It's actually making me uncomfortable. We're gonna have to put an explicit tag on this episode. Um, so who is yeah. Helm, and how do I get in his deep? I think is what you were about to. <laughs> oh no, I wasn't gonna do any of that. No, you weren't. Okay, no, Just no, I wasn't. But I will. I am going to do this. So this is going to be a different kind of episode than our normal review episode, mainly because we're not reviewing a single movie. We're reviewing music. We're talking about music. And so there's not going to be some of the usual trappings that we do on the show. There won't be a top three. Um, but I did ask Twitter to let us know just some of their favorite pieces of music from Filmscore. So we'll still kind of have that moment where we can share other people's thoughts on music. Uh, probably not going to do a five-word review because I didn't ask anyone to, and I didn't write one, so I'm not going to do it now because that would be bad oh. staff. That'd be bad work. So, or a bad Good. podcaster, bad producer. That's the phrase, bad bad producer. So instead, I'm just going to start by saying Howard Shore, um, born in 1946, the same year as my dad. This is this this guy is the same age as my dad, which is kind of a uh, I don't know what that means. It means it's interesting. Born in Ontario, Canada. And uh, oh wow. I didn't know he was Canadian. Yeah. Yep. Uh I didn't either until IMDB told me about three minutes ago. <laughs> um, but Eric, you being Canadian, you all know each other, so that's that's pretty cool. You knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Howard Shore and I are best buds. Yeah. Well so like neighbors, aren't they all neighbors oh, yeah, up there? Yeah. Pretty much. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all yeah. you guys all live next to each other. We're all we're all friends. Yeah. I mean you know, there's only like five million of you up there or something. I'm sure you guys probably all know each other, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like we're all concentrated in southern Ontario. The rest of Canada, we don't care about. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I just saw, I just saw this weird graphic, Eric, about the, the majority of Canadians live below a certain latitude yeah. latitudinal line. That's so cold. It's like they can't get any higher than that. Yeah, we are like it's all like focused. Near the yeah, Great Lakes. Yeah, focus southern Ontario, so where the Great Lakes are. So that's Toronto. Um, so there's like, I don't know how many millions of people there, but that's like the huge um, metropolis. And, uh, and uh, but yeah, we're, and we're, we're, I mean, as for, well, it's either latitude or longitude, I forgot which one it is, but we're like in line with Northern California. So like a, a lot of uh, U.S. Uh, towns are, are north of us. Yeah. Here yeah. in Southern Ontario. So... Um, but yeah, yeah there's, there's one guy in British Columbia eating beaver, beavers, right? Yeah. 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 Just, they're, yeah. They're all, you know, the weird people in Saskatchewan, you know, all those newfies out in uh, Newfoundland. The, the newfies, yeah. I had those. a, I had a cousin get married in Detroit and yeah. they had the service in Detroit and the reception 
in Ottawa. Is it Ottawa right across the river? I can't remember. No, that's Windsor. Windsor. Thank you. Windsor. That's strange. Really? Yeah, it was the worst because you had to go through customs yeah. to, to get across. Anyway, well, um, and we had wedding suck. presents. <laughs> we had wedding presents that were going to the reception, and you know, the, the, they did not like it at the border crossing that we had wrapped presents um, oh, right. during Canada. So anyway, um, it's a little like if you uh, if you started out in the world of Mad Max or uh, you know, um, Escape from New York, and then like step into the world of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know when Dorothy steps out the door and you've got all these nice little uh, munchkins running around, everybody's happy. Everybody, that's that's the the difference between Detroit and Canada in that one spot. It's crazy. Hmm. So, yeah, I, anyway, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been to Windsor too many times, uh, but it's it's not the it's not the greatest place on earth. But <laughs> I, I guess anything is better than Detroit. Detroit. And if anybody lives yeah. in Detroit, I'm sorry, but I mean, yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> oh no, no, we we've dumped on we, Detroit. We, okay, yeah, we always pick. Yeah, yeah. Detroit, d- really. d- Detroit actually yeah. used to be kind of a punchline. Like whenever we would see another <laughs> shit place in a film, we would just refer to that as something Detroit. Like, yeah. and and at first we were afraid we were going to lose listeners, but then we actually got an email saying, "Hey, I live in Detroit. You're right. Everything that you're saying is perfectly Good. fine." Yeah. Okay. yeah, Mordor is the Detroit. It's yes. the Detroit. Yes. Of Lord of the Rings. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I never thought that this was uh, going to happen in the episode, but I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when we're gonna, where we're going to end up in this thing. I tell you. Yeah, and, you know, but honestly, it's been a while since we've invoked the name of Detroit. So you know, yeah. good on them. Um, you know, it's sad to say that the best thing that happened to Detroit is when their quarterback left to go to another team and won. <laughs> you know, it's like won a Super Bowl. They are trying. They God bless them. They are trying. Yeah. At this point, are there's they? not much else to do. Are they though? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm being mean now. So hold on, I'm trying to think. Where is there? It is. Yeah, we don't have a lot of downloads in Michigan, so I think we're okay. Oh, <laughs> so you were looking. I'm looking right now. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. So, like, I, I know no one really cares about this stuff, but I'm I always kind of nerd out about this stuff. Like, you would think that North Carolina would have the most downloads because that's where the three of us are, but North Carolina mm-hmm. is not our most downloaded state. Um, it's Iowa. Well, you got to have people competent enough to use the computer. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's, it's <laughs> Iowa is our number one, and then Ohio is our number two. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, Iowa. Iowa. Hey, they like us in Iowa. Too. So if you're listening to us in Iowa, thank you, thank you. That's awesome. I love corn. Um, yeah, and yeah. Iowa yeah. Iowa caucuses and coming up soon, right? No, that's not a thing. I'm soon. No. Sorry, I've been watching West Wing again, so they're talking about that stuff. Yes, I know. I'm I'm dumb. I should be watching other things. I'm not. I'm watching West Wing again. So, uh, but you know who didn't do the score for West Wing? That is Howard Shore. So, right. Howard Shore, uh, like I mentioned, Ontario, which is how we went on that fun Canadian tangent. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting tangent, that's for sure. You know, he was also a saxophonist, by the way. I did not know that. That was it, really. Or are you just saying that just to say that? No. I'm, I'm, I, he was a saxophonist. Cool. Uh, I am looking at his bio on IMDb and I did write down some of his, his, some trivia about him in case we cared to talk about that. But, um, 
what I found really interesting, because a lot of this stuff I just didn't know, is that in the 80s, Shore composed film scores uh, of works such as After Hours by Martin Scorsese, Big by Penny Marshall. I didn't know he did Big. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about two different types of genre there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then and then goes on to do Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And um, yeah, which was a major hit of the era. Uh, and then from there, he would go on to do uh, such scores as Mrs. Doubtfire and Seven. Um, and then he would and start Philadelphia with, as well. You got it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he he did some pretty award winning stuff for. But he was never nominated for it. All right. Yeah, no, All those are big, big, yeah. uh, critical hits that won Academy Awards, but his yeah. scores for some reason never garnered the attention of the music branch. And I'm not sure why. Well, I don't know. I guess when I think of Silence of the Lambs, I don't think about the music. I don't think of the score. You think of Anthony Hopkins and Buffalo Bill and Jodie Foster. You think of the acting and the action. You don't. I don't think of the music in that at it's all. It's subtle. It's so subtle. Yeah, yeah, and that might be... It's incredibly effective. It yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sets the tone for... right off the bat the first five minutes. It's That's exactly what you need to hear when uh, Jodie Foster's kind of running around, but it's it's just the deep, dark uh, stuff. But, I mean, he picks all that up essentially with his work with David Cronenberg because he's written every single film score for Cronenberg except for one. Yeah, except and one. that's uh, Dead Zone when the producers were, um, you know, getting their fingers in the pie. And uh, it was a bigger film for Cronenberg, so they uh, had uh, Michael Kamen write the score. But everything else that Cronenberg has done. It's uh, it's Howard Shore. So that's basically where he started. Uh, in 1979, he did The Brood, and that's an amazing score. Um, but, I mean, The Fly, really yep. huge operatic <laughs> score. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's done everything. I mean, he, he did uh, Kevin Smith's Dogma. Um, he did The Cell, <laughs> which has some incredible, uh, like, Middle Eastern influences all over it. I mean, he was Fincher's well second composer because uh, you know Alien Three was such a mess. Um, Elliot Goldenthal mm-hmm. did that, but once he went on to Seven, you know, The Game, uh, Panic Room, that's all Howard Shore. And uh, but yeah, I mean Shore. The great thing about Shore, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, especially well, many people came to Howard Shore based on the Lord of the Rings, and they, a lot of people think that that's like the first thing he's ever done. But he had an prestigious career before that. I mean, for crying out loud, he was, uh, on Saturday night live as the band leader for five years. Um, he was really good friends with Lauren Michaels. He met him in summer camp. <laughs> that's how they, that's how they became friends. And that's how Howard Jeez. Shore got, got that gig. So, uh, he was also in the jazz fusion band called, uh, lighthouse. So, yeah. I mean, Shore's had an incredible, deep, varied, prolific career before he got into Lord of the Rings. And, but to hear that name, um, a lot of people are like, well, that's what a choice, what an outside of the box choice as composer for, for Lord of the Rings. And not too many people realize that, you know, he's already written in that style before. If you listen to a, a score that he did called looking for Richard, 
it's very similar to uh, to Lord of the Rings. But a lot of them, a lot of people, especially in the film course, film score community, thought he was just the kind of like the the brooding, dark, atmospheric composer, you know, writing stuff for David Cronenberg. But um, he's an incredibly skillful, classically trained composer, and he knows his stuff. And Lord of the Rings was just, uh, you know, it was lightning in a bottle. It was the best possible outcome for him and it was he was the best composer i mean he wasn't even the first composer um uh suggested uh mm-hmm. Kilar, polish composer who wrote bram stoker's dracula um uh portrait of a lady um he's written a whole bunch of other great uh classical works like the september symphony uh, an incredible composer but he was uh, initially going to write the score and he came this close from being signed but he had to duck out because uh, just the the amount of work that he would have to do, like the sacrifice that mm-hmm. he would have to make, and he couldn't do it. He thought maybe he could do the first one, but the fact that he had to be on that for four or five years, he didn't want to do it. And then the other selection, uh, or the other choice that they really, really wanted was James Horner. Mm-hmm. And yep. James Horner would have been signed immediately, but something happened with his daughter, um, she had to go on, uh, she had surgery or something like that around that time. And Horner said that he couldn't do it. So, but he was the number one choice for Peter Jackson at that point. And even Horner said in an interview, uh, just before he died, uh, he said that he liked Shore's work, but he probably would have, uh, attacked that score in a different way. And whatever that way is, I don't know what it would be. <laughs> I, I find that well. I love all of these guys, right? But I would love to see what their vision would have been. Yeah, even if it's yeah. just a concert piece or something. Just you know, um, I mean, you can get a these... sense for you can get a sense for what Horner did. I mean, you could look at stuff like like Crawl and Braveheart, and those big epics yeah. that he was doing. You can get a sense of what Horner was going to employ. But the mm-hmm. thing with Horner, and I think we all know, is just. He takes themes from here, from there, from everywhere. Things sound like other scores. And the what this film series needed was a unique voice. Mm-hmm. And that's where well, uh, the, you know, Howard Shore coming in was was the was a brilliant move. Yeah, and his his is going back to what he did for this movie, it's almost operatic in Absolutely. terms of of the motifs and and everything he put into this where you could just listen to the score and know what's going on mm-hmm. in terms of you, you could never watch these movies, listen to the score, listen to the soundtracks and you can tell where they are, who they are, what is happening and, and feel the, I hate to use the word bigness of a movie, but the epic feel of this movie is perfectly portrayed in this music. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Sean, do you have a, do you have a sample for us real quick? Of what? Just play something random. From the movie. Oh, from the movie. I was about to play a random cue. Uh, Yeah. Okay. That's good. You mean to keep going or what? No, no, no. This is good. I can tell you. I can tell you right now that they are walking. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Yes, they do a lot of walking in this series. So, <laughs> oddly enough, that one was called Riders of Rohan. So that was. Yes. 
They were actually on horses at that point, but yeah. I'm just joking. That was great. Oh. <laughs> I you but, were... but, I mean, again, that just, you know, you, you can even hear the name of Riders of Rohan, and you can hear that that theme um, in, in your head. And, man, I just, I, all I know is I've got this on Pandora that I, I, when I'm doing grading and at work, or I, and I listen to this stuff over and over, I just cannot get tired of it. It's just so good. Yeah, it's a it's a grand work, and 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 I think the the best of the very best film scores, um, you know, work magnificently in the picture, but can also stand on their own, and yeah. um, they will invoke, you know, your memories of the film, but they can also implant different images and tell a different story. You're right. Like if anybody is just listening to this music on on its own, you you have a complete story told from start to finish, and you can come up with your own um, ideas and visions and, and story. And, and, and that's, what's so great about, about these scores and, and scores of this sort, you know, these leitmotivic thematic motivic scores that everything and anything in this series gets a theme and that sticks with you. So whenever you mm -hmm. see that character again, you know, that theme is coming back, you know, or, you know, if you see the, uh, Lothorian elves again, um, in two towers, you know, and they get that March, right? Mm -hmm. But you're feeling it, right? You, 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 you've heard <laughs> that before and how here they are. And there's that theme. And it, it just, it evokes way more emotion than if it was just something rather random and it didn't have that, that callback. And I think that the, and I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of like the old school thinking that I have. I, 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 I love these big, grand orchestral scores that have themes. Um, there's nothing wrong with a, mm -hmm. um, uh, like a, or even like, like a monothematic score or, or a score that doesn't have any, right. but for scores for films of this sort. Um, and now again, I'm talking, we can talk star Wars. Um, you know, we can talk <laughs> star Trek, but yeah. we can, but these type of epic movies, they deserve to have, uh, scores of this sort. And, and I'm so glad that after this was all said and done, um, again, because Howard Shore was just a question mark. We didn't know what he was going to do, but he was the right man to get into this series because he loved Tolkien. He got into the books. He, he understood the language, the story. He understood what Tolkien was doing um, because Tolkien basically wrote this book start to finish and really had no idea where the story was going until he was done. And that's the way that Howard Shore attacked this score too um there was no grand pl uh, plan many people thought that there was i mean he came up with melodies but as the scores went on and developed he um went along for the ride musically as well so he wasn't starting from let's say the end like john williams would john williams starts his scores at the end he gets all this thematic material done he'll write maybe even the end credits and then he'll work backwards reconstruct it all until we get to the end where you finally have that resolution of a theme or themes. So sure had the themes, but you know, as he was orchestrating, he can then play that theme once at, you know, 20 minute mark. But if it comes up again at the 40 minute mark, he's going to reorchestrate it mm -hmm. based on what is happening in that scene. And I found that to be utterly fascinating. And the best thing about this as well. And again, if it was anybody else, they would have had a monster team, you know, doing additional music and doing the orchestrations and everything. Howard Shore did everything 
himself. All the composing, all the orchestrating, every single note was stabbed by by Howard Shore, and he did all of the conducting. And uh, he had some help with with the lyrics, but he again inserted all those into um, all the chorus, all the choral, the lyrics, the language, whatever. That's all. It's a singular work. Um, it's a unique work that's to Howard Shore only, and there's nobody else that contributed musically to that series. And I found that to be absolutely remarkable that one man, one man did this. And, uh, and it was important to him. It was important to him to orchestrate because even John Williams has orchestrators, but he felt the need that this had to be his work and his work alone. And that, I mean, and that is an insane amount of work. I can only yeah. imagine how, I mean, what he had to go through to, to get it done and get it done on time. Right. To, right. Wow. And on, on top of that, even write additional music when they were doing the extended cuts. Right. Mm-hmm. So he had to go back to it and adjust. I, I, right. And right. I mean, and then when you think of it and then when you think of it, and I even have this written down here, um, at, while he was writing these scores, he was still writing scores for other filmmakers. So in 2001, he wrote, music for the score in a small film called tape 2002 he wrote three additional scores panic room and spider for david cronenberg but panic room was for fincher but then he was called upon by martin scorsese for gangs of new york because Mm -hmm. elmer bernstein's score was completely rejected so howard shore was asked who was a frequent collaborator of of, uh, scorsese's as well to write the music for that epic film this is all the while he's still writing music for lord of the rings and then 2003, he didn't have anything credited for that year, but he was also working with Scorsese on The Aviator. So uh, the, the sheer amount of work that Short was doing at that time, I mean, he could have easily said no to any of these filmmakers, but he decided that he was also going to write music for for his friends, people that yeah. he knew. It's insane. that that, that, that Those three years, just absolutely insane amount of work. And all of those scores are fantastic as well. Everything that he was doing... Uh, besides Lord of the Rings, just fantastic stuff. Yeah. Well, and I, I was going to piggyback that, that on that as well in terms of these aren't little films he's doing, right? There is a pressure for these big productions, these big name directors, these, these connections that he has, he, he has to produce, <laughs> he's gotta, he's gotta make it work. And, um, and he ends up doing it great. And I, I guess it's just when you are good at what you do, it's easy or something because I, all I know is when I, I initially started college wanting to be a music composition and uh, a double major in music comp and psychology. And I immediately dropped music comp because it was just the time consumption required mm-hmm. is just out of this world. Absolutely. The, the one thing that, that I kind of want to make sure that listeners of the show know, because <clears throat> I do know that we do have some listeners that love movies but may not be as, as versed in, in films, uh, scores, and music as you know the four of us kind of music nerds are, is that these three movies were treated as one film. And so mm-hmm. we have to kind of keep in the back of our mind as we're talking about well, what he did for fellowship and then two towers you know he he had to treat this as one film and and so if you're if you watch these movies and think to yourself well john williams did three different scores for the three you know star wars (laughs) movies i said well yeah but he had he had six years 
You know, there was three right. years in between each film. Yeah. So that's, I think that's an unfair, not that anyone that I know has made that comparison. I just want, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate for someone that might make that argument because I yeah. had that argument in my brain. So I thought, well, maybe somebody would say that. Well, and to that point, uh, it, I think it's something to be said that film composers, I have a lot of respect for because they have a deadline and it's a hard deadline yeah. to get this music ready uh, for, you know, uh, public consumption. If I'm writing a symphony, which, you know, some symphonies anywhere from 25 minutes to, you know, two hours, but you think about the amount of music that had to be prepared for these yep. movies and the deadline and the constraints that were on him as a composer while, as Eric said, he's also doing these other projects. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, big brained as my middle schooler would say. Yeah. I mean, he wrote, uh, there's <laughs> it's, it's like 12 and a half hours worth of music. Right, Eric? I mean, yeah. it's, it's 12 and a half, 13 It's massive. Hours. It's, it is. I mean, yeah. now you could argue, well, a lot of it's just you know, repeating. Some of not. it is, but it's, but but it's also not. It's not. Yeah. It's not. You know, None it, of it it's repeats. telling the story. Yeah. 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 The, the, He's, the orc theme from Fellowship is a little different than the orc theme from Two Towers than it is from the you know attack in, yeah. uh, in the third one. So they do build on themselves. It isn't the same... It's yeah. not like, uh, Eric, you used the phrase the last time you were on, you called it needle drop. I think that was the phrase you used. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a different, well, it's either needle drop or tracking music. And that's a, that's a whole other thing, uh, that's done, um, with either the sound with music supervisor or, you know, the director, like for instance, you know, the tracking music, you would hear it in the, the prequels of the star Wars big time. So you might hear, you know, one cue at one point and then you might hear it again uh, later on, you're like, well, that's just the exact same piece of music. And that literally is that's tracking. Needle dropping is usually saved for like songs. So you're going to needle drop a song into, um, into a movie. And, uh, again, that's like more of a music supervisor type thing. But, um, you know, when you're, when, when a composer himself is repeating a theme, um, and, and doing, doing it purposefully, um, they are looking for any way I would say, especially a composer like Howard Shore, of, of, of changing it up a, a bit, but also you don't want to change it up too much that it doesn't become recognizable. So, as you said, the um, the Morador Sauron stuff, or even the Orcs uh, Is Isengard Orc stuff. I mean, that's it's always five four. It's always five four um, rhythm. It's it's always metallic um, percussion and, and drums and, um, you know, the chains that, 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 even that, just the sound of it, the orchestration of it is a callback. You can hear that. And even if it's played in a different pattern, or even if it's maybe a, 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 a variation on a theme, but if it's using those orchestrations, you know exactly who that belongs to. Yeah. And he does that well in this as uh, that does it extremely well in this movie because he uses specific instruments also for specific, um, uh, characters or um, you oh, know, yeah. like Rohan hear... has that uh, that twelve string fiddle. I forgot what it was called. I should have written it down. Written it down, but it's a distinct fiddle. Um, and and but the, even the sounds of you know the the Shire and the Hobbits. It's all very positive and and Celtic and and light. Um, but then you get into um, stuff like uh, well, what was the one theme that I was thinking of? It's just all uh, low growling. Um, 
music. Um, well, anytime there's orcs or Mordor, that's pretty much trombones, low brass, tubas, uh, a lot of cellos, a lot of double basses. I mean, anytime you hear a trombone, you know that somebody's about to get killed by an orc or something. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of it, whether it was the Balrock, um, where everything was just super low instrumentation. I know that they had, I think it was like a rugby team that was doing all the grunts and growls yeah. uh, for that. So it was all uh, male dominated. Like for instance, the, the elves, uh, very light and angelic um, female voices, mm-hmm. but then you get stuff for, and I'm trying to think, I know it's in return of the King and I wrote it down here somewhere. Um, oh, the army of the dead. That's it. They were all, uh, uh, what was it? Was it, below the treble clef or something like that. I forgot what he called it, but it's all just super low, low uh, growls and instruments and just male chorus, nothing else. And so that's the the contrast between the two. I mean, it, again, just the, the thought of not only writing a melody, but to find the proper orchestration for it is outstanding. Brilliant stuff. Definitely. Yeah, I'm 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 picturing in my head all that. It's like uh, it's not guttural chanting, but it's almost like that that Gregorian it, chant stuff that they do. Yeah, it's, and it's like pedal tones. That pedal tones. Singing. That's the phrase. Yeah. Um, and and that's it's difficult to do. There's there's a uh, there's a number. I think it's in it's either in the third uh, prequel Star Wars or the second one where Palpatine is. Mm-hmm. Talking and and they they do that. Yeah, it's uh, when they're at the opera. The throat singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that throat, throat singing. singing yeah. yeah, it's kind of that similar to that. Yeah. Um. Can we? I want to backtrack just a minute. By all means. Um, we were talking about um, uh, you know, other composers how they would have interpreted it, uh, and I think a really good example for our, our listeners if they want to check this out, um, is the Symphony Number no. One. Lord of the Rings by Johann de May, oh, uh, yes. which was written, um, of course, based on the book at this time because the movies mm-hmm. weren't even thought about. But uh, if they w- want to look that up, Johann de May, um, I cannot find that I-J. on iTunes anywhere. Um, yeah, I've been looking for. It's one of my favorite pieces I've ever played as a band, yeah. and um, uh, I cannot find it. Yeah, it's on Spotify. If you look up. Um, Johan de May, and it's uh, mm-hmm. J O H A N, uh, lowercase d e, and then capital M E I J is how you spell his last name. And uh, the, he was the first composer that I knew of as a high school student that had written something based on a book. Of course, I hadn't been introduced <laughs> to others that, like Francis Macbeth, that wrote for. Uh, you know, Moby Dick and, and things. So, mm-hmm. uh, but this, this, if you listen to it, it's very similar. A lot of the ideas, you know, n- maybe not the themes, you know, you won't be able to recognize anything that, that, you know, Howard Shore didn't steal anything and use it in the movie. But, mm-hmm. um, but you can definitely tell that there's a, an idea because when you listen to the hobbits, um, cause there's a movement in the symphony called hobbits. And if you listen to that and you listen to Concerning Hobbits by Howard Shore, they're very much the same. Uh, they have the same life to them. They have the same spirit to them. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's a it's a way that you can sort of 
see how another composer would have handled um, this soundtrack. Yeah, and you can even go back to the animated film in 1978. <laughs> oh, yeah. Leonard the Rose. greatest adventure the world's <laughs> ever yeah. seen. Vastly different. And there's a whole bunch of uh, great video game scores as well um, uh, based on Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, but it's it's it, you're right. It's um, it's tough to imagine anybody else you know, right. writing yeah. the scores. Yeah, it is. The score. And yeah, yeah, you just wonder. You kind of wonder what it would have sounded like would have been as good would they have dug as deep as 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 sure i mean that's the commitment that he made and uh, well and I, I wonder if part of it came because jackson had been working on this for years and years and years the ideas the visuals you know he was getting all this stuff together you know since the you know i don't want to say the dawn of time but he's been doing it forever and then having to shift from being, you know, going after, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Uh, not Howard Shore, their original target. Um, oh, James Horner. Going from James Horner to Howard Shore. It's not like Howard Shore has been working on this for, for years and years and years. And to be able to come up, I, and I'm just continuously amazed, to, to be able to come up with something like this um, in a short period of time, and to match the effort for 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 Jackson's visuals and, and what he did and the pre-planning um, is Herculean. It's it's just I don't want to glow too much about Shore, but holy cow, he just hit it out of the park with this thing. So I've been playing a little bit of the Symphony Number no. One that Andrew mentioned, the Lord of the Rings Movement One. Uh, being performed by the president's own marine band, and uh, the Shadowfax is that the part you're in? It's just number one, movement one. I don't. I think the, the, there's a sub movement called Shadowfax that that what's what you're listening to. It doesn't tell me. So uh, yeah. And honestly, I've never listened to this, and I want. Are you to serious? Never listened to it. Yeah. You never got to play it as a baritone? No. Oh man. I didn't go oh. to a school with great music, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your wife. You, she knows. Um, oh, dude. Yeah, no, that's that's such good stuff. For those that don't know, I went to high school with his wife. I didn't mean for that to come across as weird. I just, <laughs> I just realized there might be some people that don't know that. I went to high school with uh, Sam's wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, no, that's great. I'm gonna have to listen to that at some point um, or download yeah. it. Yeah, especially yeah, because yeah, you're right. The the there's two. Euphonium players right there in the middle of the the shot. Oh gosh, right now it's some amazing parts for Euphonium. It really is. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. Okay. Um. Gosh, yeah, this has been such a great discussion. I'm just enjoying <laughs> listening to it. I mean, this is this is great. I hope people are enjoying it uh, as well. Um. Again, I don't really have any other any other place to go with this other than. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about some of our favorite moments, musically speaking. If yeah, that's, if that's yeah, okay. Let's do that. um, so, Eric provided me with a nice list of music uh, to to kind of pick and choose from here. So, uh, I'm gonna I, I'll, I'll ask Andrew and Sam. Though I didn't uh, pull music ahead of time, I'm pretty sure we're gonna have some of the same. I might. I probably have it. Oh so, yeah. yeah. So, Andrew, give me give me like one one of some of your favorite moments from from the movies, if you can kind of pick and choose something. 
Yeah. Well, no, that's easy for me. Um, the music anytime they're in the Shire is concerning hobbits. And to me, it that's what this movie is. I mean, it's just... Uh, it, well, at least that's the parts that I like to remember. <laughs> you know, there are other things the that good parts, the happy parts. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, when I think about Lord of the Rings, the first thing I think about are the hobbits, and so it's peaceful and it's happy and it's dance like and yeah, you know. yeah. You get that that lovely just uh, penny whistle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it makes me want to just go bake some bread and drink some tea and just forget the <laughs> the troubles of the day, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, in the, the violin there, or I guess yeah, that might be a fiddle. It's it's, it's kind of like a little jig. Yeah. Jig to jig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sam. Sorry. The Italian Christmas donkey. Yeah, you, you caught me off guard with that. That, that was. Uh, <laughs> That was funny. Okay. No, but you know the funny thing is that music is in this same movie as the the music that you hear later on down the road with Kazadul mm-hmm. um, and and the uh, the Riders of Roan and the lighting of the fire. I mean, there's there's so many great parts that, but it fits. It fits. It just does. It's not completely different. It's it's just perfectly fit together. Yeah, I, I think the score the scores feel um, inevitable. They feel like they come out of the picture, they, as if they were already there. Yeah, it was. It's just an, a natural extension of the visuals. Like every place, every moment, just seems absolutely perfect and right. Um, there's no wasted note. There's no off note. Everything. Like I said, even just like I mean the just uh, the the elves music, it's it it almost feels diegetic at points, um, and, you know as if you're just listening to them playing the music of their land, and mm-hmm. and and that's what I again back to back to themes back to orchestration and that's what I, I mean I remember I was rewatching these movies this past week and that's exactly the thought I had it was just that is exactly the way it was supposed to sound and feel everything was pitch perfect uh, yeah i just i i you say that that one phrase where it's like it almost feels like we're listening to shirelings play this yeah mm-hmm. like this is mm-hmm. not the radio folk song yeah like this is They've got some dudes off in the corner that just play this all the time in the Shire. That's their job. You've got the one guy. <laughs> that's that, all they do. Yeah, they got the guy that grows the giant pumpkins. You've got the one guy that grows the weed. The, not the weed, but the, the tobacco. <laughs> well, they always call it. <laughs> uh, maybe. Okay. It could be yeah. weed for all we know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like when you get to Rivendell for that first time, right? And you see those waterfalls and, and just the, 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 the twinkle in the sky and all and then it's you're just playing that theme and you're like yeah that that's what you would expect to be like even on a like a like a theme ride right all of it's just you would enter and that's exactly what you would hear and it's so perfect um everything even the songs even the songs just feel absolutely perfect um like they were just already there and yeah 
that's what I love about this score. And I don't get that feeling about too many, too many scores of this sort, um, that just feel like they're like, they're perfect. I mean, there's great, great, great scores, but like, I mean, absolutely perfect scores. They are a rarity. And this is one of those perfect scores. So, so Sean, you, you played um, Concerning Hobbits there, yeah. or part of Concerning Hobbits. Let, I think you might have it, but one of my favorite spots, one of my favorite uh, songs, not songs, uh, pieces in this is the March of the Ents. Do you have the March of the Ents? Uh, because talk if, for a minute. If you and want a juxtaposition, uh, this is this is pretty good. Yeah. There, there we go. Yeah. Oh, I can I can so, already I can already sense Treebeard is pissed. Oh yeah, he's, he's getting angry, oh, yeah. and you don't quite know the strength of the ants yet because he's about to call them, and they're about to whoop up on some sort, uh, so, some wizard. <laughs> yeah, but um, when they go, they go. Yeah, Eric, in on the Two Towers episode, I played the entire scene of Treebeard's monologue when he sees Isengard, and he gets pissed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says, we might march to our doom. And this is it. Like. It's it's so crazy how so powerful. Good. It's just a woman's voice with the melody. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's not super brassy. It's not bombastic. It's not a lot of percussion. It's strings and a woman's voice. And that gives you the sense of war it's so crazy how it does that how it fits yeah because we aren't yet to you know the battle of Minas Tirith we aren't to the planar fields yet right so you know imagine the restraint that he had to do knowing this is a a three film saga and that you can't leave everything on the table in the second film right yeah and the great thing about that theme it's uh it's a uh, it's an overarching theme for for nature itself uh, within the series. So you, you'll hear it in other portions of the of the series of again, yeah, like you know, nature taking over, and yep. uh, that you're right. That is just an incredible uh, sequence. Again, you just the the amount of uh, goosebumps I got watching <laughs> through this entire <laughs> series. It's not fair. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's not fair how 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 good it is all the time and um yeah and that's just one of those fantastic moments it's funny because like I, I remember watching the two towers for the first time and absolutely hating it um i don't really? know why yeah i saw it in the theater i mean mm. i love fellowship but i saw it and i'm like I, there's just something off about it and i and i and i watched it again um with the extended edition when that first came out and i i appreciate it a lot more but again revisiting it um, it needs, it needs more editing. Um, there's just some pacing problems, but, um, you know, when you get finally to that I can point see that. with, yeah. with, with, yeah, with tree beard, it just takes, it really does take forever. Um, and there's portions where like even the, um, uh, the Helm's deep battle just gets chewed up by some really, you know, like you go back to tree beard and it just completely destroys the, uh, the pacing of the movie. But besides that, um, yeah, that was the. That was the only issue I had with the with the movie with the movie was its pacing. Um, I thought I was gonna have that same problem again with Return of the King because I haven't seen the extended edition since it first came out, and I felt that that was paced much better. So, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's but some yeah, of the I, Rohan stuff too. To me, yeah. the beginning of the movie was slow, mm. but yeah, it takes like an hour to get to Rohan, doesn't it? It's well, yeah, it takes the, it the takes two and a half and, hours to get yeah. to Helm's Deep. I mean, I know the the purpose of that movie and that book isn't just to get us to Helm's Deep, but it does kind right. of feel like e- each book leads to a giant conflict, like a, a main conflict. And in this case, the main conflict is Helm's Deep, and you know it does take a long time to get there, but then that's okay. Um, it's a it's a good you need a good build up for if you're going to have a battle that's going to last nearly an hour. Yeah, and I think that. Getting back to the music, Howard Shore, out of all the three movies, I think does a little bit more heavy lifting in the two towers than any of the other ones. He really kind of um, he helps try to get the pace going with his yep. with his music, and uh, it, yeah, and I think that he's working a little harder in this movie than the other two. Well, I think you know in the first movie we've got the the fellowship theme right, and he pounds that hard in the slow yep. motion. You know, they're going over that little rock face and, and, you know, it's huge. That's about the only spot in that entire movie where it does get really big, right? And Two Towers, you, you, you get to Rohan and they've got their own, it feels like their own country worth of music. Uh, and, and, it, and it makes it feel that, you know, that much bigger. And, and, and when you get to, again, Minas Tirith in the third movie that, you know, the second movie, it, it, it does feel like he's the one that takes it off, right? You've got the, the writers, uh, you've got the, the horse themes, you've got Eowyn, um, you've got all these different sounds that you didn't hear in the first movie that, that really expanded this universe and, and the world building itself. Um, he, he really brought it all together. Yeah, I agree. Um, as we pause, I'm going to play some of this. Many of these trees were my friends. <laughs> I, just, I just hear that just makes me sad. And then I'm yes. going to just, to, just going to bump it up here to... There it is. You're going to hear a little bit of the music there, too. Again, it's simple. It's, it's not a lot of instruments there. It's just drums and some trees walking and a little bit of vocal and some strings. I mean, it's not huge yet. Yes. Come, my friends. The ants are going to war. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, I don't know. Punch a Russian in the face right now. Anyway. <laughs> Hopefully, if you're listening to this uh, in a year from now, <laughs> everything's fine. We aren't punching yes. Russians in the face. Let's yeah. hope not. <laughs> okay. At least not all of them. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, Andrew. But we um, still haven't talked about probably the most epic point okay. in, the, in the music. What you got? Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to steal it from somebody else. So, I'm, I, you know, Andrew. I what go you, for it. Yeah. Mm. Lighting, go for it. lighting the torch, lighting the flames, lighting the, the beacons. Get that sucker lit, you know, wake the people up from their naps at the tops of the mountains, you know, crumble off the frostbit fingers so that you can light the match. Um, you know, get this <laughs> thing going. Do they have matches in, in that, that time? I don't know. I don't either. Maybe they did. <laughs> Flint. 
I'm guessing flint and stone. I mean, it, 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 I still, I know we made the joke last week about like, what do those two guys up there do like all day? But I mean, like, don't you yeah. think like they like shat themselves when they saw that those fires were lit? Like, <laughs> you know, oh my God, we got to do something. You know, it's just talk about hurry up and wait. I mean, you wait for forever. Um, yeah, I got a little bit of the lighting of the beacons playing. It's a nine minute track, so I'm going to fast. Yeah, forward here it a takes bit. a while. Yeah. But. In fact, this is about the only time in the film where uh, it's it the, it's not that the music disappointed me, but like when you finally get to the the Rohan folks and they're like, "Let's go!" It's almost a letdown. It's like, oh, yeah, it, it just it didn't seem to pay off as much as the music was was telling us it would pay oh, off. Just and having Aragorn just run in, going, "Hey, the fires are on." Yeah, yeah, it just didn't seem. As big as as the music was in, intended. But then you get that great uh, statement of the Rohan music in the the French horns. There's that big fanfare when they say that they're going to go help them out. Yeah, and uh, that was that's pretty awesome. It's happening. It's great having those two themes: that Gondor theme, um, and then that Rohan theme, like minutes apart, and just mm -hmm. play just big, big, big moment. But yeah, the, the beacon stuff, um, it's it's one of those moments in film where the composers just licking their chops. They they like <laughs> they're like there's no dialogue and there's pretty much no sound effects. And it's just yeah. this is a this is my moment to shine. Yeah. You're and, on stage. Yeah. And, and you get great examples like i mean you think about the the, the reveal of the M enterprise in, in in star trek the motion picture oh, gosh, yeah. uh, that's a six minute um you know silent film that jerry goldsmith scored um and it's it's a magnificent sequence and this is one of those sequences just with the with the build-up and then i mean who would have thought that you know the, the the lighting of uh you know fire and torches would be so epic um and i don't like to use that word a lot because it's just thrown around all over the place but i mean when you're talking about the most epic stuff uh this is i mean besides that i mean uh, what about 10 minutes earlier you get this grand shot of of uh of minas tirith right and it's playing the gondor theme and it's just so amazing but then 10 minutes later you know we get this lighting of the beacons and one of my favorite little moments um is the, the the helicopter shot just over one of the mountains and it it it, it, it the helicopter is basically flying over and 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 as the mountain disappears underneath the camera uh shore just lets out this huge gong and it just resonates forever and i and i just have a feeling that he's hitting that sync point just right when the when the mountain reveals the other um torches or the fires and he just adds this extra bit of uh you know, again, it's like epicness, and it's you know, it's that huge gong, the tam tam. It's just I absolutely love that sound, and I love that part of the uh, of this score. And um, but that's what I that's what I love about all of these movies is that they all have their own central theme. Even though we had heard the Gondor music in Fellowship, um, it's really Return of the King where where it shines. Um, but where fellowship, you have the fellowship theme. That's the central theme of that film. And Rohan, the central theme of Two Towers, and and Gondor is your central theme of Return of the King. And I love that Howard Shore developed those themes or gave those themes to each film. Whereas I mean, the Ring theme is the overarching theme for the entire series. 
but it's great knowing that you know each of these themes belong to one separate part um so yeah again wonderful stuff yeah it's it's great i mean i'm just listening to it again even on low volume it's just uh, it's it's so great, and like you said, you don't want to use the word epic too much because you're right. Yeah, somebody throws a water bottle into the trash can and it goes in. They say, "Oh wow, that was epic!" You know, like yes, um, yeah. I, I use but this the word, is true epic filmmaking. It is. This, I mean, yeah, exactly what yeah. it is. It's the best of the best epics. Yeah, I mean, just just those helicopter shots over the mountains. Yeah. That's I mean, that's actually as, as weird as it sounds. That's hard to do. Just that yeah. that those shots. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's almost as good as when he flew the helicopter under the bridge. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a nice callback. There you go. Yeah. Terminator 2 there. Cool. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, I got a couple other cues here that we want to listen to or just kind of talk about. I mean. Um, sure. Yeah. What else you got? Well, one of, uh, one of the pieces that Eric really wanted us to highlight that um, it's, it's the part of music or part of the film that my wife has never seen, and that's Shelob's Lair. Oh my goodness! My oh, wife can't yeah. watch any of that. As soon it's tough as for me too. yeah, as soon as Frodo walks into that cave, her eyes are shut and ears are closed. And then, <laughs> so as far as she knows, Frodo walks into a cave, and then he is carried out by the goblins, and <laughs> and uh, Sam has to go rescue him, and she doesn't know why. Now she read the part in the book, um, and she she had a hard time with it. <laughs> just reading about it. So um you gave me two tracks here for She Loves Lair. Which one do you want me to play? Um I might have given you the ex you I did. think they're both very similar. So I gave you the extended. Um I mean you could play the uh the one from the regular album. It's I think shorter. It is. By half. Yeah. So yeah, yeah play the uh She Loves Lair and yep. you'll get an idea of what Howard I mean it's it's it is a vastly different cue than anything he has written i mean besides all the um the music he was writing for the um the monster what do they call it the the the, the kind of like that octopus thing from uh from fellowship Watcher in the water yeah that's it um so he's writing all that this sort of um uh, it's, it's a very interesting technique um where shores essentially yeah, yeah so for the for the for the the water monster, what's it? The watcher and the water, the water and the watcher. Yeah, he, and I, the term is just, it's, it's completely, uh, I can't, I can't figure out the term, but what he's doing in the music is he's, he's, he's notating the duration, um, the style of play, but he's allowing the instrumentation or the, the players to basically do whatever they want. And I think it's a aleatoric music. So it's, it's not necessarily, written notes but he's like you guys are going to be within this range you're going to play for this long but you can do whatever the heck you want with your instruments <laughs> so yeah. it's it is the most wild insane piece you'll ever hear now he doesn't do that with shalub he he this is actually you know purpose pur purposeful music every note's written but what he's doing is he's creating this this intricate web of notes um, and that's a bad pun, but it's exactly what it is. Um, that's just going all over the place, but it's also like different ideas and counterpoint that then create this sort of organized chaos. And it is 
horrific music, but it is like nothing you've heard in the rest of the series. So the stuff that he writes for the monsters in the series is really, really unique stuff. But for for Shelob, it is crazy. And there's so many ideas that he's writing in this tiny little piece. It's about four minutes long. Um, and again, it's all over the place and it's purposely written that way. So, and it fits just magnificently in the, in the picture. It is one of the scariest scenes in the, in the entire series. Well, yeah, it, it truly is. I mean, it's a horror scene. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's in the, in a dark place. He can't see what he's, he's, I mean, we, as the, as the camera, the audience, we can kind of see what he was going on because they light it, but Frodo can't see anything until he pulls out the star that, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow gave him, not Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, uh, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, Charlize what? Theron. What is somebody calling out the wrong name? <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm doing it accidentally. <laughs> at Angelina least I'm in, Jolie. At least I'm in the ballpark. You would have said Joe Pesci at this point. Um, uh, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, it's not even close. Um, anyway, you all know who I'm talking about. Just I don't know her name apparently. Landriel? Yeah, Gladriel. I can't think of her real name for some reason. Oh my gosh, she's the the villain from Clarence Thor Thomas. three. Um, did you just say uh, Clarence? Kate Blanchett? Kate Blanchett. Did you Kate say Blanchett. There you go. Clarence Thomas. <laughs> it started with a C, right? <laughs> See, at least my Gwyneth Paltrow is like it's close ish. Yeah. It's close. It's close. <laughs> Not really. Anyway. My point is, is that you know, it's a it's a horror scene, right? I mean, this is um, mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of uh, of um, Peter Jackson getting to go back to his roots a little bit, like with the Frighteners, right. which is, I mean, not not really a scary movie, but it's you know, it's a horror ish kind of movie, uh, or like and, when, and he did have some other real horror movies before that as well. Yeah, it just it's just like not as well known. Yeah, it's like when Sam Raimi got to do a little bit of horror in Spider Man Two. Yeah, you know, which is like one of my favorite scenes in the in the Spider-Man franchise is when Doc Ock's arms are going crazy. It's yeah. it's very much like that. So, yeah, no, that music's Absolutely. terrifying, and I'm now looking around my office for spiders uh, just because <laughs> of that music. It's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, any other pieces we want to hit, or, or or what do you want to do? Because I've got, I mean, I got the Writers of Rohan, which is apparently the piece that Andrew thinks people are walking. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, well, you know what's interesting about that, and again, I, I thought that that the the big statement of that theme uh, in the horns, not necessarily the fiddle theme, was actually written for the the exterior shots um, of uh, oh, what is the name of their little city? Uh, anyway, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, so the the the, the kind of the fiddle theme is played for all the exterior shots. But then the that big, grand, bold, uh, heroic statement of it in the horns, again, is when um, when the king turns from you know uh, under Saruman's uh, you know grasp His control, yeah, 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 and 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 then he stands up and he you know takes the I think he takes the sword, right, and Shores just again given another opportunity to just let his music out, and he gives this just enormous statement of, of Rohan's music and it's it's again just uh, yeah. goosebumps so many goosebumps in that moment yeah I was playing the wrong track for the second there <laughs> if you were getting confused as you're talking about the writers I, I clicked the wrong thing that's my bad 
Um, <laughs> but oh yeah, no that that scene is 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 really great, especially when he you know he's he has a little bit of the murder murder in his eyes. He's ready to kill Grima Wormtongue, but right, yeah. But it's just his return is so again. Um, it could be it could be so over the top. It could be too cheesy. And I think that if anybody was handling this series, right? I mean, just think about it. Think about the subject matter. Um, but you're just taking it. You're taking it deadly seriously. You are. Everything in about this. There's there's repercussions and um, there's uh, there's genuine threats and and every and, and people are affected and you are affected as an audience member because you care about these characters and every new character you are introduced to, you 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 just kind of like grasp onto them and. And, and you're along for the journey. And and I think that's the best part about these movies is that they make you care. And uh-huh. Howard Shore makes you care with his music. Yeah, that's it. Well, going back to something that I said uh, last episode or a couple of your episodes back, um, you know, you spend so much time in this world that you start to really bond with the characters and you start to you know, become a part of it. And I think the music is very much the same way. You know, you spend so much time, you spend 12 hours listening to this music. Uh, whether it's conscious or not, you're hearing it. And, you know, it, it becomes a part of the story, becomes a part of the narrative. Yeah, and that's kind of where, um, you know, when the Fellowship is disbanded in, in the end of Fellowship of the Ring, and all I kept on thinking is like, are we ever going to hear that theme again? Because they don't come back together again until Return of the King. Yeah. But the best thing about it is Shore is then taking that theme. He gives it to um, Aragon and, and Gimli and uh, sorry, I forgot the Legolas. Legolas. So he's he's writing it in 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 sort of. Um, uh, he's not giving the entire theme to them. At times he does, but it's it, it, it's 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 again differently orchestrated. But it's for them on their quest on trying to um, bring the fellowship back together. And I thought that was so cool because, again, any time that they are doing something heroic, you're hearing the fellowship theme. So there's a great swashbuckling moment when um, Aragon uh, chucks Gimli in uh in the two towers and it's it's the big statement of the fellowship uh theme and again it's sort of that it's that yes moment it's that exciting moment you feel and 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 you feel it i mean it's a funny sequence but then all of a sudden shore is just kind of turning it on its head and you're and you're feeling a genuine excitement instead of you're sort of laughing along with the joke but also you're 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 with these characters and and you know they're 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 kicking butt and 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 the music is telling you that and I mean, the fellowship theme for me is the one that I, I absolutely love. And and hearing it during the the bridge of Kazadum sequence, um, the great buildup to its first big bold statement. And I'm not talking about the one where they're going over the mountain because that's really written for a solo trumpet, and that's a great moment too. But like when they're all together in an action sequence and where everything is on the line, and you get to hear that. That's that splash of symbols, and then that huge statement of the theme um, as they're running across the bridge. It's uh, it's thrilling stuff. I in this particular piece or cue, whatever you want to call it, I, I always really enjoy kind of the um, 
like the it's like the chanting in the background of the guys. Yeah. Like it, it reminds me of three hundred when they're all kind of chanting together, and it, it's almost like this battle cry as they're being chased by this demon from you know ancient times, the Balrog. And uh, I also love this, I love I also just love the sound design of the Balrog itself. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the idea that you have to have this thing, this living, breathing fire, and you have to make it sound big and, and ominous and so the music also has to fit that too it's just it's all yeah. really really great um and of course the the books you know the the, the Cimmerillion, you find out where that thing comes from um and why it was created and why it's buried in a mountain so all the fun stuff from books <laughs> books <laughs> yeah what I know, but books can't give you this awesome music, so there's that as well. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's it's one of my favorite sequences, I think, in the entire uh, series. I I love every bit of that. Yeah, just having them run through those halls and oh, I know. After, yeah, after the fight in the uh, in the room where uh, they have the cave troll that they have to fight and all that stuff. It's just, it's just great. I mean, I know we're just kind of biding time for the moment, but you know, yeah, it, it, take, it takes it takes a while. Takes um, a you know, the bridge has to collapse and then come together, and yeah, but that's where you hear that wonderful statement. And, and what's so great about that too is that the shot um, from above it, it doesn't cut away, right? You see the the the, the, the two bridges come together, um, the sections come together and then fall off, and it's just this wonderful effects shot that it's all shot from above. But Howard Shore's just scoring it with with the fellowship uh theme and you really get to get a sense of where you are and what's happening and there's not all these fast cuts or shaky cam or whatever you get to really experience it and i love and that's what i love about these movies too is that even places are given its moment you know minas tirith when you see it for the first time right i mean it's just these beauty shots (laughs) for 30 40 seconds and it's like okay we care about this place and again, Howard Shore is telling you why with his music, and I and I love those. And as much as we make fun of the the the, the running around, and but I mean, you get a sense of you get a sense of the land and, and how vast it is and where they are. And I I love that sort of stuff where you're you're allowing a film to breathe, and you're not being caught up in 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 so many edits trying to cover up stuff. I love being able to just kind of concentrate on this, you know, on one shot, and just letting it soak in. Yeah, there's the bridge part where they've yep. the yep. thing, yeah. Lean forward and then you know, gravity yes. takes over. And you don't get too many build ups to a symbol crash nowadays in, yeah, in film scoring. And then we just get to have the, the hero moment for a, a second. We we the heroes are safe for about fifteen seconds. Right. Until they realize that the Balrog knew a shortcut and so now they're having to deal with it again. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so that's when Gandalf realizes, okay, I'm going to have to step up and do my thing and have one of the great, you know, uh, what? You shall not pass. The, one of the greatest four lines in film history other yes. than, no, I'm your father. You know, like, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it doesn't get much bigger than those four, those two sets of four, I guess. Um, uh, anyway, uh, 
this is actually one of my favorite moments. We we've kind of hit on most of my favorite moments. You know, this one and the march of the ants, and the lighting of the beacons. Those are those are some of my favorites. Other than just the overall theme, I I I really love the the the, the, the again. I'm a low brass player, so of course I get excited when the trombones get to have their moment when it's anything with Mordor. Um, and then of course the ring itself kind of has its own theme that. Uh, almost sad, da, 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 that that almost mm-hmm. sad kind of theme that gets that gets built upon and built uh, upon, and I think it's supposed to make you feel sad because it's my least favorite piece cue in the entire series, and you you hear it a thousand times, but I think mm-hmm. it's because it's supposed to make you feel a little discomforting because it's yeah. a ring that's supposed to make you want to be evil and whatever. You know, like all the stuff we've talked about, the stuff that we love are these awesome moments, right? Like the Hobbiton and and the lighting of the beacon, like the the hero moments are great. So, uh, yeah, Shore does such a good job of. Okay, weird soapbox. I get kind of annoyed. <laughs> I get kind of annoyed when people say, um, "I don't like it when composers are trying to tell me how to feel." Which is ridiculous. Because that's mm. kind of their job. It's <laughs> the job of movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The movie is trying to give you an emotion. The director is saying, this is what I want you to feel. And the composer, in conjunction with the director, are saying, yes, this is what I want you to feel. Right? Yeah. Like you mentioned, like the, the Enterprise. We yeah. we haven't seen the Enterprise yet at this point in time, 1979, we hadn't seen the Enterprise in 13 years, uh, 10, 12 years. So we're going to take six minutes of this long film and show you the Enterprise. And the music is going to be big and epic and wonderful and and ocean-faring because we want you to feel a certain way. So that's that's my soapbox. I just get annoyed when people, oh, the, the musician's trying to tell me, that's his job. <laughs> like, isn't that not, like, if you listen to pop music... Isn't it not Britney Spears' job to make you feel one way or another, or Taylor Swift or Adele? Oh, those are bad examples, or maybe they're good. I don't know, but I'm not... Something that off, but... Taylor Swift never made me feel, though, was feel 22. Oh, well. I wish I could feel 22. <laughs> but, uh, but, but like... It... I, I know what you mean. I know you um, mean. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes composers can be just too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they can, they can interfere and 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 compose something that is just going against everything you see on screen but when you have when you're as dialed in as let's say Howard Shore is with this series it just all comes together as one and there's points where you even forget that the score is there and and that and some people would say that that's that that's what the best scores do. The best scores are the ones you don't notice. And I I would I would say yes at some points and other points where I'm like no. I mean there's again we're talking about the the bridge of Casadoom here and I want to hear that fellowship theme. It it makes me feel something. And of course another job that the composer has to do is to let you feel the emotions that might not be there, but are you know um, are kind of underneath it all. Or to set you up for something, um, or to give you a, a red herring. You know, they might set you up for mm-hmm. something that you think is going to be great, and all of a sudden, boom! No, well, that's that's not great. And again, this is a great example here for this scene. You know, it's all very heroic, and they're getting away, 
And but wait, nope, hold on a minute. Belrock is still there. And then about 30 seconds later, Gandalf is falling to his well supposed death. And we have this lament and everybody's sad. And and again, during that scene as well, everybody's crying and everybody's feeling something. Um, they're feeling different emotions, but Howard Shore is kind of like helping you feel the feel that emotion. I mean, he's not forcing it upon you. He's uh, just kind of accentuating it. And and that's what a, a good composer does. A good composer also knows when to step away. Yeah. And there is mm-hmm. the those giant elephants. I forget what they're called. Elephants. Um, they, that huge sequence there. There's a whole. Uh, I would say about four or five minutes where there's a buildup to the clash um, between, I think it's the riders of Rohan and, and the, those giant elephants and Howard Shore basically stops the music dead and lets it all play in silence. Yeah. He could have written and, something, right? But yeah. Why? I, I think, I think that that is, it needs to be done more. And I think it's brilliant. Because I, I do think that sometimes the music does get in the way and silence is needed. It's the now, same reason why marketing has white space. That, that yeah. you say you have to have blank space to let your message breathe. And I think that stuff like that is a perfect spot for it. And I think you're right. I think composers can sometimes uh, overstep and, and overdo something because we as humans are uncomfortable with silence and at times, especially in a movie, you need to be uncomfortable. Right. Yep. I also think that there are times where just to continue on this, what we're talking about that just sometimes the, the, the music will detract from what's happening on screen. I mean, I, I can think of times where like, like if it's a fight scene, but it's not between the, heroic hero which is kind of redundant you know but i'm saying like when the evil villain you know what i'm saying like sometimes it's like between two friends or something or two adversaries but the fight is uh, like it's not i don't know there's just moments where it's like let's just not have anything and that's okay that's really good and i don't know if that's a director choice or if that's a composer choice or, or I think sometimes it's both or the editor yeah. the editor might yeah, say i mean you, you know can what? you can have uh i, I mean i hate bringing up star wars again but i mean you think that those films are like you know wallpapered with music but one of the key action sequences in that entire series the speeder bike chase is completely unscored there is no music but it's it's done because there's so many great sound effects in that sequence john williams has to he doesn't have to do anything for it it just works Mm -hmm. on its own and that's rare for star wars uh, sometimes it's even rare for John Williams. I mean, there's 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 scores that I've I've heard of his. I, I've heard all the cues, and some of those cues aren't even in in the film. They're just gone. And it happened here in Lord of the Rings as well. There's there's cues that Howard Shore wrote, and Peter Jackson decided, nope, we're not going to use it. We're just gonna we're gonna play this silent, or we're gonna play it without music. And that's fair. And that's fine. Um, I'm okay with that. And again, if it works. Again, I, what I don't want, I also don't want a film just wallpapered with music and it doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. Um, because that's just, it's, it's just making up for what, what really isn't there in the movie. And, um, I can't stand that that gets in the way. Um, 
and I can bring up examples, but I don't want to. There's a particular <laughs> space um, sci-fi series um, that's doing it right now. Um, and it's just constant, constant, constant. Every, even the dialogue scenes are all just music, 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 music. There's I got to no know what you're talking about. So. You're, you're killing me. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh, Star Trek, dis- um, uh, what the hell is it? Dis- Discovery. Discovery. Constantly playing music. Uh, that's another thing is that that series does not know how to keep a camera still. So the cameras are moving all the time. <laughs> and there's music over everything. And it's just, it makes, the music is not important then. Right. And when it's just playing over everything, you're just like, wh- there's a great, um, you know, they're, they're, they're great composers know when to put it in and when to, when to, when to insert themselves into a film. And so you can have a great buildup and then the music comes in and you're like, yeah, that works. But the, the moment that you're, you're playing, let's say everything big, then it doesn't mean anything. Like if you, you have this giant cue um, you know, at the beginning of the movie and then 10 minutes later and then 20 minutes later, 30 minutes, all huge, 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 huge. Then the climax is not going to mean anything. And I was even going to mention that. I mean, for as big as these scores are, when you get to that final Mount Doom sequence, when, you know, the, the bad guys are finally defeated and you're just wondering what's going to happen and how can Howard Short score this any bigger? He does. And it's enormous. It is absolutely enormous. He's got everything playing. And as much as you might think that the Bridge of Casa Doom is epic and the Rohan stuff is epic and all the, the battle stuff for Gondor and I Minas mean, Tirith is all epic, I, I, I cannot believe the sound that he produced at the end of this movie. It is crazy huge. It's chorus. It's like a hundred piece chorus. It's all 90 members of the orchestra and it's, and it, but it's crystal clear in the orchestration. It's not muddy. It works with mm-hmm. everything. Like Peter Jackson is even bringing down some of the sound effects and letting the music come in. And just, I can't, again, I can't believe that Howard Shore was able to inject even more into this score at like the 12 hour mark. <laughs> it's insane <laughs> how good it is. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I just listening to you talk about it, it reminded me Sam Sam and I and I know Andrew shares this, but Sam and I have a weird passion for the film score of How to Train Your Dragon. And, oh yeah. And I well, love that my, my, my high school band is playing it right now. Nice. Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> but we Good. But like I like you're talking about building, you know, and the, when they're battling that giant dragon at the end. Like that battle sequence is just taking the the music from the test drive is what it's called. The track is called test drive mm-hmm. when he's first learning how to fly on toothless, and then they just he just amps it up to eleven for that fight scene, and you get you know all of the th- basically every theme except the love theme between him and uh, him and Astrid the the hiccup and Astrid that's pretty much every other theme is like smashed into this seven minute piece of music and it's epic and it's awesome and it's one of those things where like when you hear test drive it's like oh my gosh how can how is the ending going to be bigger than this and then of course john powell knocks it out of the park so yep uh yeah but you're not yeah it's a different scale when you're talking about in the 11th hour of of 12 hour film how does how do we get bigger and it's well um, we add giant eagles and make the score bigger. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it, but it's also such a perfect sequence. Um, you know, you think about some other trilogies that just don't know how to end their movies 
and end it in a right way that makes you feel a certain thing. And this one just, you know, the, once the ring disappears into the lava, um, there's a sense of relief and that's what you're hearing in the music. But it's like you said, it's turned up to 11, 12, 13 in this, in this moment here. And it could be overwhelming, but it's exactly what you need. It's that, Mm -hmm. it's that victory motif. It's that, yes, it's finally over. And it just feels perfect. Um, it, 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 it's the feel again, like I said, it just feels like it was inevitable. It, this is the music that you were supposed to hear. It's so pitch perfect. And that's exactly what you needed to hear at that moment. And again, that might be on the no scoring, but I think it's, uh, again, it's just so annoying. I went back to it about five or six times today. Cause it just was, it's just so good. And I couldn't believe my ears just listening to the orchestration and how enormous it is. That's, I think that's, yeah, yeah sorry. And then, then you think, well, how is he going to, you know, what else is he going to do? And then he provides you with, um, you know, into the West, which is an Academy award winning song <laughs> and you get any Lennox and you get this beautiful melody and, um, you're just weeping listening to it. And, and you just, how in the world can he just keep on going? And then, and I found this out today, and I, I probably knew this many years ago, but I totally forgot. But Howard Shore, at the end of Return of the King during the end credits, and I had, again, like I said, you wouldn't know unless you, unless you were told or else you knew the piece of music. He actually tips his cap to another Ring series. And it's uh, Wagner's uh, Ring Cycle. And he adds huh. in um, uh, a piece from... Uh, Gotterdammerung, which is the last opera in that cycle. And he Mm -hmm. plays um, a a little um, motif from it for about a minute at the end of Return of the King. So I I don't know if you've literally stick around for the end credits, but it really ends kind kind of big. And you're like, I've never heard this music in the whole series before. But yeah, Howard Shore, again, just like, nah, I'm going to tip my cap to the other, uh, ring series (laughs) this is insane (laughs) really well and and when you think of if you think of epic romantic era composers wagner is i mean that's like number one that's right Uh, so of you know using that is another brilliant uh little tidbit that he that he did in this movie homage well i mean yeah movie composers they you know, they, they borrow from the classics all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, most famously, Hans Zimmer, some people would say plagiarized, some people would say honored. It's, it doesn't get much closer to being, you know, from stealing Gustav Holt's uh, Mars as he does for Gladiator. It's, you know, it's pretty close. I mean, even when my son, well. who's nine, listened to it, said, <laughs> Dad, is that, is that, is that Mars? I said, no, that's called Gladiator. He goes, oh, it sounds the same. <laughs> yeah, it does. What were you going to say, Andrew? No, I was going to say, I mean, John Williams the same way. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. Star Wars. Yeah, they all do. I mean, they all they all kind of help yeah. them. They borrow from the classics, and mm-hmm. and and there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, as long as they're doing their own thing, which is what typically they do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, gosh, man, this has been a... a Wonderful discussion, and I hope that people who are listening have really enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed listening because this has been great, and I didn't have to talk as much, which is also excellent. <laughs> um, 
Anything else we want to talk about? We're going to do a lot, just a few little bits here at the end. Anything else we want to hit on? Any um, Anything else just burning at you about Howard Shore and how sexy he is? <laughs> oh, well, um, I, it's interesting. We're talking about themes and leitmotifs and whatever. Um, Gandalf really doesn't have one out of all the characters. Right. He doesn't, he, Shore purposely said he didn't. Now, doesn't have one as the gray. And the reason for that, and I'm going to paraphrase and I hope I get it right, is just because Gandalf is such a mystery and um, we really don't know what he is all about. And so that's why he didn't want to give a specific theme to him again until he hit um, when he was uh, Gandalf the White. But then I think, yeah, Gandalf had a had a, a small motif um, and you can hear it when he, you know, comes heroically down that hill at Helm's Deep. And uh, I think he pl- that plays along with the nature theme as well. Um, and that's his Gandalf the, the, the White theme. But as a gray, he doesn't have one, which I thought was fairly interesting because every other character gets one. Like even Sam gets one at the end of mm-hmm. uh, Return of the King. Um, and, uh, and and Mary and Pippin get one. I mean, it's just, it, and, they, and they don't get one right away, but as their characters develop, they get themes. I mean, who was, um, uh, Eowyn, is that her name? The, the, the Rohan woman? She yep. has like Eowyn. three different motifs that are all related to either Arwen, um, uh, Aragon or to her father or to Rohan or to it's like it it reading through the 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 making of these scores and as I said there's a book and I wish I had it written by Doug Adams it's out of print really expensive but if you can find it it's great but I was reading through the 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 liner notes of the extended edition and her theme is just woven throughout many different character themes and it's just incredible but Gandalf doesn't get one in the first movie. <laughs> just well, he's just, got his he's got his pipe. He's fine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but I mean, again, um, even um, one of my all-time favorite songs in any movie is uh, "May It Be." Um, by Enya, and um, I, I, I think again, she is a, an absolutely perfect choice her two contributions in uh, fellowship of the ring, but may it be is just a, a lovely, lovely tune. And, um, too bad that she, I thought she was going to win the Academy award that year, but Randy Newman had to finally win his first ever Academy award for, for monsters Inc. So, but I love may it be a lot. And then I'm not sure. And I need, I was trying to look at it, but Gollum's song, um, I don't know. I heard rumors that it was supposed to be Bjork that was supposed to sing it. Um, but, uh, she didn't get a chance, chance to, so they had to find somebody else, but I thought she would be perfect for, uh, for Gollum song and uh, at the end of two towers. But yeah, if anybody knows, let me know. I'd like to know. Yeah. I'm having a hard time even kind of picturing what that would be, but okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, if you listen to, um, I forget her name. Uh, the, the the singer that they eventually found very similar to something Icelandic. <laughs> so, and it would fit. It would fit that that Gollum tune. So okay, neat. Kesha. Yeah. 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 K dollar sign ha. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
man, I just all of the information. Hope everybody's taking notes as well. <laughs> I mean, like I said, there's so much more. And again, if you wanna, if you wanna know everything and anything about Lord of the Rings music, and I and I think he's writing a book on The Hobbit as well. And those are those are the scores. If you want to discuss that later on, that's fine. Um, but Doug Adams is the authority on Lord of the Rings music. He is, he was uh, along with Howard Shore, I guess while I was writing it and he had access to everything and he wrote the, literally wrote the book on it. He wrote all of the notes for the extended edition of the soundtracks and he definitely, uh, knows his stuff. So, and he's been on other podcasts and I'm, I think he was featured even in the, uh, the behind the scenes, uh, making of the films or at least during the, uh, Lord of the Rings symphony, uh, that Howard Shore wrote. Um, so yeah, check out Doug Adams. That guy knows what he's talking about. Okay. Cool. Right on. Doug Adams. Not the guy that wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No, this guy, he was a contributor to Film Score Monthly and then he's a very, very knowledgeable, um, uh, musicologist, I guess. He knows his stuff. Sure. I was uh, expecting yeah. at least a, uh, a chuckle out of Andrew and Sam, but I guess uh, either Sam's batteries were died or it wasn't very funny. Way, <laughs> uh, we we haven't heard from Sam in a long time. He's probably been talking and wondering why we're ignoring him. Yep. Maybe. Yeah, that's actually exactly what happened because he's left the chat and now has rejoined. So, okay. so I swear, like, there's there's got to be an extended version somewhere of my recording of talking when you guys aren't listening to me. Yeah, so I, I wish that were the case. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. you. Don't. Well, I want to hear what you had to say. Yeah, now I don't remember because it. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been since I've been able to be heard. So. Oh my god! It's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess at this point, I'm just gonna say that was awesome. I, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. It was great. And uh, we're going to move over to uh, a little bit of our audience participation. Um, I asked Twitter just to kind of tell us some of their favorite scores. I mean, I can ask you guys some of your favorite scores. I know that this is a conversation that could be in another podcast entirely, which we actually did a podcast on this uh, some time ago. Mm, gosh, where was that? Like back in the 80s? <laughs> It was like double-digit episodes we did this where we did our favorite film scores and played little clips of, of them. We did a top 10. We did top 10 film scores. And, That's cool. Uh, yeah, we had a blast. But, I mean, you know, just off the top of my head, I can always just say, you know, like in my on my phone, I have, um, you know, playlists. And of my playlist, I have one labeled film scores. And... One of my scores, you know, top ones, I have like uh, Brian Tyler for Iron Man 3 and Patrick Doyle from Brave and James Newton Howard for Treasure Planet. Um, my daughter's favorite right now, she, her two favorite pieces of music on my phone is um, for, uh, James Newton Howard from Raya and the Last Dragon mm -hmm. and Michael Giacchino's um, Doctor Strange theme. She wow. loves, she loves mm. Dr. Strange. That's great. It is. Mm -hmm. um, Good taste. Yeah. yeah. She's a funny kid. Uh, and of course I also have like, like if you were to you know look at which one was the most played, uh, probably in the last year, it's probably going to be run free by Hans Zimmer or, uh, discombobulate by Hans Zimmer. 
from <laughs> Sherlock Holmes or mm-hmm. the finale, the William Tell Overture finale uh, from The Lone Ranger by Hans Zimmer. I tell you, if you want a really fun, uh, I've recently gone through and made a uh, Spotify playlist of some of my favorite new movie scores. If you want a really fun piece, there's a piece called Obituary by uh, uh, Alexander Desplat uh, from the movie The French Dispatch. Now, the the movie itself is questionable, but um, <laughs> this piece is so much fun. It's it's a little. Uh, it's got tuba, it's got harpsichord, it's got banjo. Like it's a really cool little chamber piece. Um, so check that one out. It's pretty cool. Okay, there you go. Cool. Um, any any other scores you guys want to just highlight real quick? Just as I'm queuing up Twitter here. Yeah, the Bryony Atonement um, score that they use the typewriter. I still love that one too. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. yeah. Dario mm-hmm. Marinelli won yeah. the Oscar for it. The the Dunkirk Brilliant. sequence in that film. Oh, that that single shot is yes. holy crap! I, I have to yeah. talk about it. It's so crazy how things work out. I literally post on Facebook, "What is your favorite single shot in film history?" And I commented on the movie Extraction because we had just watched Extraction, and I loved that movie. I think it's great, and it has this awesome single shot. And Will Triplett, who is a filmmaker, actor, producer, writer who was a friend of mine from the days when I actually worked on TV and stuff, he was like, dude, you need to see this shot from Atonement. And I'm like, Atonement? That's like that really sad movie, right? And he goes, yeah, go Google this shot. And so I Googled this this shot. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing shot. And he goes, <laughs> I need to come on your show so we can do it. So we reviewed that movie. Uh, so that's how I cut Will onto our show to, to review that movie was because of that single shot. It's such an amazing yeah, shot. And that, that movie was so good. And boy, were we all pissed. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh, we were mad at the, at the author. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else you guys want to highlight before I do Twitter? Um, yeah, some of the weird ones I have, like Cutthroat Island by John Debney. Sure. Oh, I like um, John Debney. He's great. That's like in my top five um and then uh one that i absolutely i i love it and um i think it's james newton howard's very best score is signs and it's amazing what a composer can do with just three notes because mm-hmm. uh it's it's a it's a, an extremely well spotted movie but those three notes say so much and then, of course, you get, well, the tracks Hand of Fate, part one and two. It's a 10-minute sequence right at the end of the movie. Uh, some of the best film scoring you will ever, ever hear. Um, and I'm also a fan of, like, the Golden Age. And so there's this, it's actually a comic book movie. Uh, it was a comic strip called Prince Valiant, written by a guy named Franz Waxman. And so if you're into kind of like swashbuckling adventure movies and scores like that. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant score. Um, so that one and the Seahawk, you ever get a chance to, uh, to hear the quintessential pirate movie film score. That's it. That's it. It's called the, the Seahawk. Is that what it called? The Seahawk. Yeah. Eric Wolfgang Korngold. He only wrote, I think 12 or 13 scores in his entire career. And they're all fantastic. They're all brilliant. Um, you know, like oh. the adventures of Robin Hood. 
1940, yeah, Errol Flynn. Yeah. Seahawk is magnificent. It's enormous. That's another, that's like, again, you talk about epic scores. Those guys wrote epic scores back then. The, the trailer for this thing, the two greatest sea spectacle, spectacles of all time in one yeah. great film. Yeah. Errol, Flynn Errol Flynn as yeah. the Seahawk. Yeah. So he's just coming off of uh, you know, like the Adventures of Robin Hood. So um, you know, he's a huge star now. At least I think that's true. I think that's the order of it, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Wow. He only lived to be 50. That's sad. Or a Flynn. Flynn. Yeah. He died when he was 50. Dang. Uh, okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to bring the whole thing down, but (laughs) I've got a, I've got a, uh, pop in kind of a, a strange soundtrack, uh, song that, that I used to, I think I wore out the, the CD for back in high school. And that is the very last track on Twister. Uh, yes. which was uh, Respect the Wind, I think it was yes. called, by Van Halen. Mm. Yep. And it was just the guitar soloist, and it's just, it's so good. It's incredible. It is so good. <laughs> I, I know I'm like in the small minority, which I guess minority and small is, I guess it's redundant. I'm in the minority by saying, I liked Human Being by Humans. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with you. You're talking yeah. about one of the, oh, man, I, I talked about this on another show. We did Twister, <laughs> but... Um, and, and I know we're talking about Lord of the Rings, but anyway, it is one of the greatest, <laughs> I, it is I one asked. of the greatest transitions from score to song it's of all time. It's so great. Yes. It's so yes. good. Because Manchina's playing humans being in the orchestra. Yeah. So when they, when they all get up out of uh, Aunt May's house or whatever her name is, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that rhythm. And, and again, talk about helicopter shots, right? The one that's over yeah. top of the, uh, the water that's tower. Yep. I'm like, Oh my God, that whole movie with the helicopter shots are fantastic. But yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> It Manchina is actually playing the tune, and then it's transitioned into the song. Damn, it's so good. <laughs> that score is fantastic. But yeah, um, yep. the the Van Halen brothers wrote that "Respect the Wind," and it's one of the greatest end credit pieces I have ever heard. Yeah, I'm just curious. It's probably not gonna. Yeah. No, it's just the guitar part. I was looking for the the actual score. Uh, um... It's called A Walk in the Woods. Oh, here it is. Oh, I found it. Uh, please don't give me credit. Or... And Trevor yep. Raven's on the guitar. That's what's so wicked about this, too. Top of that water tower. Oh, I love it. I do. I love this stuff. <laughs> I bought this album for this pe- this track, this one track. I got to download <laughs> this on my phone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive to work tomorrow with this. And what's nuts is that that piece wasn't on the original album. Yeah. I got to get this on my phone somehow. It's so good. Like, it's better than the movie, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just be honest. Like, there are a lot well, of times. I mean, honestly, how many movies are, 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 how many soundtracks are better than the movies themselves, there's, really? There's, there's lots. Many. So, many, many. Yeah. Many. Um, I'm going to fast forward here and see if I can get to the. There we go, got a little bit of guitar. Oh, we're just gonna sit here, ladies and gentlemen. If you're you're <laughs> just gonna sit here for a second. It's worth it. There it is. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> oh man, freaking love it. Okay, all right. Anyway, yeah, I don't want to get sued by Van Halen, but um, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> we, we love it. We oh, love yeah. it. It's great. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna do this before uh, we. Uh, we talk, can sit here and talk soundtrack. Yeah, we really can. Uh, really, this is uh, the <laughs> for for not a, a soundtrack podcast. We we certainly can and could um, yeah. and have, but we won't. Okay. I uh, think I know a podcast that does talk hmm. a lot about soundtracks. I hope that, it's a yeah. good one. Oh, is it a good yeah, show that I've heard before? I don't know. I've heard called? good things. Yeah. Oh, somebody better talk about it because I'm. I mean. <laughs> 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 I'm, I am leaving the door open here as the host. Please, uh, Eric, tell I, I, us about your I, podcast. I, 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 think, <laughs> yeah, that's called a, I believe that's called a segue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. If, if you if you like soundtracks, um, yeah, Cinematic Sound Radio is the place to be. So, CinematicSound.net, check it out. Uh, we actually the the newest show on the network is awesome. It is produced by my friend uh, Jay Blake Fashera. He's a horror music guy. He's actually, again, written a book on horror music. He's done two books called Scored to Death. And he's doing the history of Goblin in oh. film music. It's awesome. And uh, again, I'm not all that familiar with Goblin and their contributions to film music. So I'm learning a lot from this show. And he's putting on, I think it's about a four or five part series that's going to be released over the next uh, couple of months. Highly recommend you check that out. And... I just did a six-part series on John Williams that I'm really, really, really proud of. Wow! And only uh, six parts. Yeah, only. And I, and I still missed. <laughs> and I still missed music um, on it. But I'm. It's a. It's basically a, a re-record and remaster of a show I did ten years ago. But I think I did it better this time, and I'm really, really happy with the way it it turned out. It, it's it's turned out to be six of the most popular shows ever in the 25-year history of the the show. So. Wow. If you're interested in kind of going from the beginning right to the end, those are six shows you want to listen to. I got Check it queued up on my phone. Sure. I'm 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 going through some other shows that I I feel obligated to listen to. Uh, Absolutely, and I say that with all love in my heart to <laughs> uh, our good friend Jesse from Sudden but Inevitable <laughs> because I'm going to be on his show, you know, tomorrow. So. I want to make sure. Gotta I'm do all, your research. Yeah, 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 I gotta be caught up and then support my buddy because he listens to mm-hmm. our show and he gets yeah. into arguments with uh, people and it's great. So it's awesome. Interaction <laughs> is is the best form of flattery. That's not the word. That's not the phrase. <laughs> I asked people of Twitter, um, just tell us what some of your top three. Uh, Did just, they get it right this week? Well, it's hard to get this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, last week people didn't quite read my tweet very well, and I asked for their top three Academy Award winners, and we got responses like Goonies and Back to the Future because they were just oh. they were telling us their top three movies, uh, movies of all yeah. their top three, their movies, top three. Yeah. So we have lots of fun uh, in- entries here. Good friend of the show and good friend of ours, Maxton says uh, the Mummy. Uh, which is Goldsmith, I think. Yep. Um, Ghostbusters oh. Afterlife, which is a dude I don't know. Rob Simonson. I uh, heard that one yet. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know his work very well. And then Dune, which is Zimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of discussion about Dune and Zimmer, and that it's kind of atonal. There's no, <clears throat> no theme kind of a thing that you talked about earlier. More of a tone poem. There's, 
Act, yeah. There's about eight themes in it, but you got to really pay attention. Yeah, like, but I want to hum and nothing something. like like Pirates of the Caribbean oh, where I can I can hum it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, good friends of the show, Rosie. Uh, this is how awesome Rosie. All right, Rosie is the 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 awesome lady who uh, wore our shirt to Comic Con this last year. Oh, so nice. I said, "Hey, anybody want some stickers? I got extra stickers. I'm just gonna mail them to you." And she messaged me and she said, "I already still I have some stickers from the last time you gave me some, but there's a friend of mine who I'm uh, getting a care package for who lives in Germany. I'll throw some of your stickers in there before I mail it. So we're gonna have wow. cheap seat reviews stickers in Germany." How cool is that? That's pretty so, cool. Uh, Kelly D, I don't know if you listen to our show, but if you do, there you have stickers coming. Maybe that was supposed to be a surprise. I guess I just ruined it. Uh, <laughs> Rosie says, um, while you were sleeping, which I think is going to be on every one of her top top lists. She always puts that. Uh, Leap Year, Last of the Mohicans, filmed in North Carolina. And mm-hmm. uh, Shanghai Noon uh, by wow. Randy Edelman. She mm-hmm. loves Randy Edelman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Rosie. Let's see who else we got. Cameron from the Green Shirt Podcast, a newbie's trek through the next generation. Uh, he says, aside from Lord of the Rings, who we, of course we had on uh, for the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Interview with a Vampire by Golden Thal, uh, Requiem for a Dream by Clint Mans- Mansell. Mansell, yep. That's the only movie that ever gave me nightmares as an adult. It's that, a freaky movie. That yeah. movie freaked me out. And Willow by James Horner, which we also Ooh. had him on for Willow. I love that. Good pick. I love it. Oh, and he also did Twin Peaks by Angelo Badalamente. Thank you. I was going to struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> and James Newton Howard is writing the score for the Willow television series. Oh, that'll be good. That's, uh, that's, yeah. a, good, that's a good yep. pickup. Uh, new friend of the show. Her name is Tabby Gray. She is one of the co-hosts of the Happy Hours Happy Hour, excuse me, uh, podcast. You can find them at, at Happy Hour. Uh, happy Hour 4, I think is what it is. I want to make sure I give her good credit here. Happy Hour Show 3. Uh, they are hilarious, and she's been very supportive recently. Uh, she says, you have to talk. Uh, James uh, John Carpenter with Halloween, Escape from New York in the Fog. Um, also... Uh, she says, you're going to give me, this is going to be lame as hell, but Freddy versus Jason soundtrack was the epitome of 2000s metal, and it was an effing banger. <laughs> <laughs> and then her and her friend went on a long <laughs> conversation about that. She also said, um, Raymond, Raman Dewadi. I can't. Yeah, Raman Javadi. Thank you. Who uh, did Iron Man and Game of Thrones and a bunch of other yeah. stuff. So. Um, that's all great. Uh, am I missing anyone? The only other person I see is, uh, also new listener and friend of the show. Uh, her name is Ebony and she is one of the co-hosts of the two, twosome gruesome podcast. They are a, uh, like a horror podcast and that's a fun show too. And they are from Australia. Mm. Um, so Good day. we have, yeah, we've got, um, Aussies listening to us. Uh, they are at, I want to make sure I give them the full credit. They are at gruesome, yeah, just gruesome to some movies. If you do a search for them on Twitter, you'll find them there. And uh, yeah, two ladies talking about horror, and they're great. Um, and her picks were, oh, I lost it. Hold on. A couple of them. Let's see. Su- Suspiria? I've never heard of mm-hmm. Suspiria. Goblin. Oh, same same dude. Okay. Uh, Suspiria, Queen of the Damned, and yeah. Back to the Future. 
Those were her three. Good. Got yeah. Max Beecher on the list. Yeah. So, thank no, you. No Aussie, no Aussie scores? No Brad May? No, no sorry. Mm. No, uh, no Nigel Westlake? No Babe? Come on. <laughs> uh, oh, it's score, though. Uh, Jesse did, uh, I missed Jesse, sorry, Jesse from Sudden But Inevitable also said Tron Legacy by Daft Punk, Highlander uh-huh. by Michael Kamen, oh. Great. and yeah. uh, the Star Trek, the, the motion picture by Jerry Goldsmith. So, Oh, great picks. That is one yeah. of my you, you know that Tron uh, soundtrack was really surprising Yeah, when it came yeah. out. I, I love to listen to it, and it's one of those that I love to listen to while I'm working because it's it's almost puts you in a trance. Sure. It's well, and you, you hear, you know, in, in my mind, because I have no idea who they were at the time, Daft Punk is going mm-hmm. to do Tron. And you're like, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I thought that they were the perfect choice based on their sound, but mm-hmm. they surrounded themselves with the right people to help them write the, or at least orchestrate. Like, you're listening to, there's a lot of orchestra in it. So they got this guy named uh, Joseph Trapanese to do the orchestrations and uh that is a wonderful hybrid of symphony and electronics like you've never heard before and it's i'm i'm also i'm really glad that those guys felt that the symphony orchestra was important to their score Mm -hmm. because it could easily have just been like this electronic and it would have been great i mean all the electronic stuff in it i think is just absolutely mind-blowing like every single track in that score can stand alone and it's it's bloody brilliant, and I <laughs> I didn't expect it to be that great. I mean, think about that year. We also had How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. Um. And and it, and I'm still upset. The social, that the social network, network <laughs> social is the network, one yeah. that uh, won the Academy network. Award. It's just brutal. <laughs> so, but <laughs> I mean, you got two weird... classics that year. I mean, I'm, there are genuine classics like Tron Legacy and How to Train Your Dragon are just going to live forever. Yeah. And. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's one of the most surprising scores I have ever heard, which was Tron Legacy. Brilliant mm-hmm. stuff. Great. Um, that's it. I need to end the show. Uh, I I didn't anticipate this show going two hours. But just like Lord of the Rings, don't, we'll go don't another let four Eric, hours. Don't let him go. No, 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 no. I, again, no. Um, it's way more my fault than it is yours. Um, uh, so... <laughs> This has just been a blast. Again, Eric, uh, thank you yes. so much for having us on. You are from the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast, the podcast that is just so much cooler than ours. Please go check the, them the out. The better CSR out there. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Every time I hear you guys say it on the show, I'm like, CSR, that's, that's mine. Yeah. Like, you, no, could... you guys probably, yeah. I, <laughs> I got, I'll just add the P to the end of mine, you know, yeah. CSRP. How's about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that sounds like a, a radio out of Cincinnati. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Yeah. I you call listening. letters. I got my own call letters. Yeah, well, yeah. actually. That and it's actually... Canadian, too. It's perfect. It's C. There you go. <laughs> yep. Nice. <clears throat> that's, that's what our call letters begin with here in uh, in this country. There you go. That's fun. I didn't know that, but now I did. Yeah. Now I know, too. Yep. And everybody else listening does as well. There um, you go. Again, you are at uh, Sin Sound Radio on Twitter, and I'll put Correct. your uh, link to um, your website in our show notes. Go check uh, Eric's stuff out. It's awesome. Um, you know, pretty much every time I have a guest on, I listen to an episode just to kind of make sure that I know what I'm getting myself into. And <laughs> your Waterworld episode was just uh, unbelievable. I loved it. So yeah. that's when I said, <laughs> I have to have this guy on. 
and who was on that show with you, Randy, we had on for our Empire yeah. Strikes Back episode. So um, I've had. Well, we're we're doing a last Starfighter next. So if you like that, oh, oh I love the last Starfighter. Oh, and man. I, yeah, we're getting into that. And uh, Randy did an interview with Craig Saffin, the composer. So that'll be on the network. Uh, we're going to have the, that run and then we're going to talk about Last Starfighter. And there was another podcast that I listened to recently about two years ago did a, a interview with Craig Saffin, but they didn't really talk about um, The Last Starfighter because they're, they're, they're the, um, the Spy Hearts podcast. And oh, so okay. They were, Raymond Williams then. So they were, they were talking more about um, one did of his... Did Remo? Yes, Remo. Yeah, that was the, yeah. the main primary yeah. move. They, they talked about that. And they just he like they mentioned Starfighter, and that was kind of it. And I'm like, no, that's what I want to hear about. So, um, I'll check no. out Randy's yeah. interview. Uh, that's awesome. We are Cheap Seat Reviews. We are the <laughs> other lesser CSR. Uh, you can go to our website, cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com. When you've been doing it for 25 years, you get to, yeah. you get to own the you know our. our it's crazy. Like people, when I go, oh my gosh, you've been doing it for eight years. I'm like, yeah, but I know a guy who's been doing it for 25. So, <laughs> um, eight years is a good chunk of time too. Though, eight man. years I is mean, a long time. I'm not, you know, there, it it's is. nothing to sneeze at. I mean, no. Sam and I have been doing this since, you know, no one has told us to stop yet. Not yeah, yet. I've tried many Except times. for that one person. <laughs> yeah. He tried so hard that we said, well, if we make him join the show, then he can't, he has to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway yeah uh yeah, cheapseatreviews.libson.com is our, our website or you can hit our link tree uh, and find links to all of our stuff buy our merch it would be great um to you know have have income mainly honestly if you buy our merch which would be great but we use that money to buy merch so i can give it away at at uh special events mm-hmm. like our 400th episode coming up this summer Episode 400 is coming up this summer, and we're going to do some giveaways, which is also a lot of fun. Uh, in the meantime, please leave us a review. iTunes, uh, where do people, uh, good pods would be great. Um, what are other places? Um, Spotify. Spotify. Reviews, don't they? I think yeah. so. We don't, we've only Pod been Chaser. Pod Chaser. There's so the many. The Yellow Pages. <laughs> Bathroom stalls. Just whatever. <laughs> Like anywhere that you want to leave us five stars, that'd be really great. Uh, iTunes is kind of the, I guess, probably the most popular still, but yeah. all those yeah. other places would be great. Uh, it helps. Yeah, Every it does. It helps. really does help. Um, and congrats, uh, Eric. I think you posted the other day that on Chartable, you're in like a top 200 podcast. Wow, that's that's nice, just man. awesome. I would I would bet yeah. that a, you get a, probably a big push from that John Williams Six part that, that's that was an unreal series. Like when I did the first part and I shared that out, it's as if I paid to boost it. But for some reason on Facebook and Twitter, it exploded. I have never seen so much engagement in one show. Yeah. And that just boosted my numbers up significantly. I've, it's insane. But I'm super popular. You're talking about weird places that you're popular in. Um, they love me in uh, Pakistan, Chile. And Israel, <laughs> nice. Well, they they love them some uh, J Dub. Yeah, yeah, I'm number four in Chile in in the music category for some reason. But <laughs> hi everybody in Chile. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're uh, like that. You're like the 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 not the Hasselbeck of Germany. What's his name? 
Mm. Hasselhoff. 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 You were really yeah, yeah, close, yeah. Sam. Right. I give you some props. Yeah. For that. I thought, I was, hey, I was right there. Yeah, um, ladies and gentlemen, that's an improvement. So you're that's the Hasselhoff of Chile. Yeah. Yeah. So there you, you just don't have as much hair as he does. Okay, oh, no. I gotta, I gotta find a way to end this. We're turning into, uh, we're, we're turning into the Return of the King. Four times. Hey, no, this is just, just like playing Lord Baywatch. Of the music. You know, it's a hard time to end. Yeah, it's a hard. Uh, but you know what? After an epic episode like this, it it should take a long time to end. Um, yeah, we actually got a lot of credit for our take on the fact that that movie has a lot of endings and that we're all okay with it because if you yeah. spent eleven and a half hours with these characters, it's okay to take twenty five more minutes to say goodbye. So, with that being said, it's been we've been with you for two hours. We're gonna take this last twenty seconds to say goodbye, uh, Eric. Again, it was the pleasure was all ours. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it has been our pleasure to to talk to you about this stuff, and uh, we're really um, just grateful to have spent the last month talking Lord of the Rings with you. Um, but next week we get to breathe and do something completely different. Next week we're doing Stargate, so we're going from. <laughs> Epic, Another awesome soundtrack. By the way, it's it, that we did an episode on Stargate. That's hint, a, hint. that. That's <laughs> a. I think that's going to be a movie where the score is better than the movie. So, oh <laughs> I no, the, it's, I haven't it's gotta hold up. Right, I haven't Come seen on, it in a long time. Up. I don't know. We'll find out next week. Yeah. In the meantime, like I said, go to our sites. That'd be great. Leaves review. That's it. On behalf of uh, Andrew, <laughs> Sam, and Eric, this is Sean saying thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. This is Cheap Seat Reviews. <laughs>